Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church in Riverside, California. For more info about Hope City Church, visit www.hopecityriverside.org. Awesome. Hey, do me a favor, if you would, open up to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. So uh, we started a series on the book of Jonah last week, and uh, I was hoping to get through 17 verses last week, and I got through five, and uh, so... I'm going to try to finish part one. No, this is, we're, this is part two. <laughs> and, uh, but let's just read. I'm actually going to start again. This is probably why I'm going to get myself in trouble because we're going to read the whole chapter. And uh, we're going to start by reading that and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll pray and jump in. Okay? Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one, says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Hoppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. It just puts Tarshish in there a lot to really mess me up because it's really fun to pronounce. Uh, verse 3, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. For your word, I just pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Lord, I, I, just, I just know that um, your word never returns void. And so if we will have ears to hear, you will teach us tonight through your word, all of us, God. And so we've come with humble hearts, open hearts to hear from you. And I just pray, God, that we would walk out um, knowing that you've spoken to us tonight knowing what to do about it, how to put it into practice, how to obey you, and how to follow you more clearly, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Something I keep uh, forgetting to mention there, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is one under the seat, under your seat. And if you don't own one, if you don't have one at home, that Bible is uh, our gift to you. Go ahead and take that home. And uh, so that is yours. Let's do some recap because we covered all of that. We, we read that all last week, but we got through five verses. So let me just real quick kind of recap you, okay? So, so here's what it was. So God sends Jonah to a people called the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, okay? Uh, and so we're going to get into kind of who these people were just a second, but God sends Jonah. First thing we, we see right off the bat is that God is a sending God, and we saw we are a sent people. So we have been sent. We have been sent into this world with the gospel message to proclaim, to make disciples, to preach the gospel. So God is a sending God. We are a sent people. From cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, you see this theme. God is a sending God. We are a sent people. And so it's very, very important to grab a hold of that, to understand our identity. Maybe you never thought of yourself as someone who was sent, as, as a missionary of sorts, that God has sent us into this world with his good news gospel to share with with people, okay? So maybe you've never saw yourself like that, but that's who you are. If you're in Christ, you are a sent one. You are a missionary, in effect. So he sends Jonah to the Ninevites. Again, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. The, we, we, we covered, okay, the Assyrians were like a brutal and barbaric people, okay? We said last week that, that, that it was not uncommon for entire villages to commit suicide when they heard that the Assyrians were coming because the Assyrians were that barbaric, that they would rather just take their own lives than experience whatever the Assyrians were gonna do to them. These people were brutal. They were a non-Jewish people. This is distinct from the other prophecies in the Old Testament. You see God sending prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel or to the southern kingdom of Israel. These are Jewish people, the people he had called unto himself. These are kind of God's people. Okay? So God has always been about calling a people unto himself, and then he would send prophets to them. When they would start to stray from him, start to not be faithful to him, he would send prophets to them and call them to repent and turn back to him. This book, Jonah, is very unique in that God sends Jonah, the prophet, to a non-Jewish nation, to another nation that was not of his people. So think, in our modern terms, think those outside of the church. Those who are, okay, so there's God's, we would think of God's people, those who are those or whatever, and then those who are outside, okay? It's very, very important that we grab a hold of that. We're going we're gonna to recap why a little bit later, but just understand, these were a brutal people that Jonah was sent to, okay? And, and Jonah's people had been the victim of the Assyrians, okay? Probably specifically the Ninevites on more times than he could count. This was the people Jonah had the most reason to hate. We got to grab that. We got to understand that if we're going to understand what's happening in this book. God sends Jonah to the people he had the most reason to hate. And he sends them and says, preach against them because their sin has come up before me. So you would think Jonah just got the dream gig, right? You would think... Oh, score, like Jonah just got, like I get to go tell the people that I have the most reason to hate that God's going to like cook their city if they don't repent. Like, sweet. Like I get to go tell my enemies God's going to like overthrow the city. But Jonah runs from God. We see, do we have that map? Is that still on the thing? Jonah runs the absolute opposite way. Are we still there? Somewhere. No, no, no. Okay, it's all right. Oh, there it goes. There it goes. There it goes. So, okay. Instead of going to Nineveh, he hops on a ship towards Tarshish. Like you see, if you weren't here last week, this is like the opposite direction of where God sent him. Why did Jonah do that? Why, if Jonah had a message uh, of repentance to preach to the people he had the most reason to hate, 
Why didn't he just go do it? Why didn't he just like take joy in that? Like, yeah, I'm going to go scorch him. Like, boom, God's going to get you. If you don't, punks, like deal with it, right? He doesn't do that. He hops on a ship and he starts heading in the other direction. Why? The, the book will tell us later, but I, I'll tell you why right now, okay? It's that, it's that Jonah understood something about the heart and character of God. Jonah knew, Jonah just knew that if he preached a message of repentance to them, he says, repent or your city is going to be overthrown, that they just might repent and that God would show them mercy and grace. And Jonah didn't want that. Jonah did not want those people to get grace. Jonah didn't want those people to experience the compassion and mercy of God. You know, those people, those outsiders, those brutal, barbaric, those people that are so sinful and wicked. He didn't want those people to experience the grace and compassion and mercy of God. His heart was out of line. His heart was out of line. So he hops on a ship and he disobeys the Lord and he heads in the opposite direction. Cool thing is that it says God threw a storm, hurled a storm onto the sea to get Jonah's attention. So Jonah's on this ship running from God as if that were possible. And God hurls a storm in his direction, okay? This wasn't a baby storm, okay? This was a massive storm. Scripture told us that the ship was about to break up. It says the experienced sailors were wigging out. They were all flipping. This is like, we said last week, this is like you're on a plane and there's turbulence and the flight attendants are even freaking out. They fly all the time. And all of a sudden the flight attendants are like, this is bad, okay? That's what's happening here. The experienced sailors are flipping out. The ship's about to break up. We're all gonna die. That's, that's how bad this is, okay? God sends a storm, and all the people on the ship start crying out to their various gods. Now, everybody had a god of everything. There was a god of the hills, and there was a god of the valley, and there was a god of the vineyards, and there was a god of fertility, and there was a god of the ocean. There was a god of everything, they thought. The radical thing about the Jews' message that God gave them was that there is one God, one Lord over all, over everything. But, man, so we can pick on, we can pick on these people for being polytheists and having a God of everything, but I think in some ways we do the same thing. We go like, okay, God is, God is God of this part of my life, but we keep compartments that we don't worship him in. We keep compartments or areas of our life, not in my work. God, at my work, that's my time. That's my space. No, God is Lord over all of it. He's Lord over all of my life. And so that was the radical message of the Jewish peoples, that there's one Lord. This is the Jewish Shema. It says, behold, the Lord our God is one. There's only one. There's one God. He's Lord over all, and you shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he heads on the storm. God heads on the ship. God sends a storm. They're crying out to their various gods, and lo and behold, their gods aren't answering. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. So Jonah... While they're all crying out, the ship's about to break up, the sailors are freaking out, they're calling out to every possible fake god ever, Jonah is in the lower part of the ship sleeping. Sleeping. He's crashed out. <laughs> so let's pick up now in verse 6, okay, because I've already spent like half my time on just a recap, okay? Verse 6. So it says this. So that's where we left off. Jonah's crashed out in the lower part of the ship. Ship's breaking up. People are freaking out, crying out to their gods. Nothing's changing. Storm's still raging. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They're like, man, maybe there's a God we haven't covered. Like, maybe it's your God. Maybe, maybe you got the God that, like, we haven't thought of, right? So, like, call out to your God. Maybe that God will hear us. Maybe that God will care. 
that we may not perish. So they woke Jonah up and basically said, pray too, man. You pray too. What are you doing sleeping, you fool? Like, we're about to die. You know, you're going to sleep through it. Maybe your God will care. Verse 7. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Here's what's very interesting to me. So I'll explain what casting lots is. Casting lots is basically like the modern equivalent of like rolling dice or drawing straws. It was like the most random thing. Like they're like, we're trying to figure out why this mess is, why is this ship breaking up? They were all very spiritual. They were all very superstitious. They were like, there's some guy that's mad somewhere. It's somebody's fault. Let's roll some dice, draw some straws, figure out who, whose problem it is. Notice Jonah didn't give himself up, right? Like they woke him up, like we're gonna die. And Jonah wasn't like, oh, it was me. He was like, oh yeah, yeah, we're all gonna die. Like what's going on? And then so they decided to like roll their dice or draw their straws or do their thing, right? So uh, it's very interesting. You see this kind of thing, this casting lots a couple times in scriptures. And so you go, wait a minute. Is this like how we should make our decisions? Should we just like, okay, God, uh, should I take this job or not? Okay, okay, yeah, okay, I rolled higher than a four. I'm going to take the job. No, that's, that's not what it's saying, okay? I don't think this is like endorsing like random means of making decisions. I think what's happening here, scripture says man casts a lot, but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's every decision. What is it saying? Is it saying go cast lots and whatever it says it was God's decision? No, no. I think what it's saying is it's just an absolute illustration of the complete sovereignty of God. That is, God is sovereign over everything. Just how sovereign is he? This scripture would say he rules and reigns over even seemingly random things to accomplish his divine purposes. God rules and reigns over even seemingly random things to accomplish his divine purposes. It's very, very, very key. Our God, this chapter, this whole book, but this chapter especially, I don't know how many times you've seen it, we're going to look at it, but God is sovereign over everything. God is in control. God is sending Jonah. Jonah's disobeying. God is hurling a storm. Like God is in control, Right? Uh, they, they, they roll dice to figure out what's going on. God's like, oh, okay. Let me, it's like God's tweaking the dice. You know, like, I'm going to accomplish my purposes. God rules and reigns over everything. Okay, that doesn't negate human responsibility. We have free will. We have responsibility. But God sees the end from the beginning. He's going to work all things together for his divine purposes. Verses 8 through, 20, 8 through 10. So the lot comes upon Jonah. They're like, hey, the dice says it's you, buddy. The dice says, you're the one that's put us in this jacked up position. So what gives? So verse 8 through 10, then they said to him, hey, hey, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Like, hey, what's your job, dude? Where are you from? What are you doing? Like, who are you? Like, we're all about to die because of you, apparently, the dice says. So like, what's up with that? And he says to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what have you done? What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they asked Jonah who he was. Jonah told them that he worshiped the one true God, the God who made the sea and the dry land. And they must have thought he was a complete moron. They're like, what, they're like, what have you done? Like, here, because here's what he just said. He goes, yeah, I worship the God who created the sea and I'm running from him on the sea. I worship the God who created the ocean, and I tried to get away from him on the ocean. They're like, dude, you are s slow, okay? You're, not, it's, you're, you're, you're hurting us. 
Here's the deal. God's people are not always his best representatives. Right? Unfortunately, and true of me, far too many times, God's people are not always his best representatives. We should be. There's also a vivid lesson about the absolute power of God, the God who controls the ocean. Like, we were at the beach two weeks ago. I'm standing knee-deep and getting knocked over. Scripture says God tells those proud waves how far they can go. God says, this far and no further, and the waves obey him. This is the God that spoke, that breathed creation. Every mountain peak that you've ever stood in awe of, God spoke it. Every wave that's ever bowled you over, God spoke it. It obeys him. So Jonah's like, hey, yeah, that's my God, the one who made it all, and I'm running from him. And they're like, wow. Okay, so verse 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? Like, what do we got to do then, buddy, so the sea will chill out, will quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. It wasn't enough. It was already breaking up the ship. It was getting worse. And he says to them, here's what you got to do. You have to pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you because I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah sees now that his actions have impacted others. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I think it's so true. We don't realize, we think, I'm not hurting anybody. We go like, what does that hurt? When somebody sins, they go, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. It hurts people when you, it hurts people when I sin. Let me point it at me. When I sin in any way, big or small, it hurts people. It actually negatively impacts other people. Even indirectly in the sense that it's, I'm not being fully who God has called me to be in their life. If I have not stepped fully into who God has called me to be, then I'm not being the person God has called me to be in somebody else. I'm not speaking the word of encouragement when I need to be there. I'm not in the gathering when I need to be there to encourage somebody or comfort somebody. I'm not there to, to, to lift somebody's arms up or to, to help. I'm not there to be and do what God has called me to do in other people's lives. So yes, my disobedience always negatively impacts others. And so Jonah finally sees that. He says, I know it's because of me that you are in the storm. Isn't that true? I mean, we've, I've been on both sides of that. I've been the one that caused the storm that negatively impacted others, and I was sleeping through it, like, uh, blissfully unaware, right? And I've been the one that was just affected by the storm of somebody else's chaos, and they seemed oblivious. We've been on both sides of that thing, haven't we? It, it absolutely impacts people. So he says, here's what you got to do. Listen, he starts to take responsibility. It's my fault. Okay, I'm going to take responsibility. And here's what you have to do. You have to throw me into the ocean, this raging, storming ocean. It is safe to assume that Jonah thought this was going to kill him. It's safe to assume that Jonah thought he was going to be sacrificing himself so other people could live. He understood it was his responsibility. He said, okay, I... This is my fault. Here's what you got to do. You got to throw me in, guys, and I'm going to die, but, but the sea will calm down and you're going to live. Verse 13. Nevertheless, 
The men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. He's like, throw me in the ocean. They're like, oh, let's just try to row to the shore, right? They're like, we don't want to kill this guy. Like, he's, he's, you know. They're trying to avoid killing him, okay? They, they must have had compassion on him. Uh, verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Finally, they're like, the storm's too much. They're like, okay, we're going to try to save his life. It's not working. The storm is more and more. And they say, okay, they cry out to God and they go, God, basically don't let us die for this guy's sin and don't put his blood on our hands when we throw him in the ocean. Right? I don't want to die for this fool and I don't want to be guilty of this guy's death because we threw him in. It says, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Do you see the sovereignty of God there? Do you see the God who's in control? They, they recognize, say, God, you've done as it pleased you. So don't put this guy's blood on our hands. We tried to not kill him, but now we got to huck him overboard because, like, I'm not dying, okay? So they throw him overboard. It's safe to think that they thought this would kill Jonah too, okay? Verse 15, so they picked him up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So they obeyed and they threw Jonah overboard and the sea calmed down. Verse 16, then the men, listen to this, look at this. They're crying out to all these other gods. And look at verse 16 now. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, the true God, and they made vows to the God of heaven. So they see the absolute sovereignty and power of God and judgment of God upon a disobedient servant, and they fear the Lord exceedingly. They offer a sacrifice to him, and they make vows to him. God's display of power and Jonah's testimony and repentance caused these men to fear the Lord, to seek him in prayer. They're praying to him now. They sacrifice to him, and they're making vows to him. So God has now just redeemed Jonah's disobedience and even used it to bring salvation to a bunch of rugged sailors. Nothing is wasted in the hands of God. Nothing is wasted. Even our disobedience, he takes and turns into something good. What do we sing? Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good and for your glory. God was just... God just made sure that even in Jonah's disobedience, he would be glorified and he would cause good to come out of it. Verse 17, we made it. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Oh, it didn't say whale. So we always tell this story, Jonah and the whale. And it, it's good, it's cool, I understand why we say that because we think like what's big enough to like swallow a human being? It doesn't say whale. Although there is a story uh, in the early, late 1800s or early 1900s of a guy that was swallowed by a whale and like it was like a day and a half later like emerged, like I don't know if he was puked up or what, but like got out a day and a half and his skin was like bleached, his hair was all, he was like, he was like bleached, like white, 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 white. He was in a lot of pain. He had a lot of, but it happened. So the scripture, it's just a little sidebar. It's a little fun little fact, okay? Fun, fun fact, okay? So I don't know. Jonah might have been a little jacked up when he got, okay? So we're, we don't know what's going to happen, but, but Jonah's in the whale, okay? So he says, Lord appointed a great fish. It's not a whale. Jonah's in a fish. Uh, it says, and I, but here's the deal. I want you to get. So it says he appointed, God appointed 
a great fish to swallow up Jonah. That word appointed could mean assigned or ordained, provided, prepared. Any word there would work. God ordained a special, a fish to swallow up Jonah. God prepared a fish. Perhaps this is, a, I don't know, I'm just speaking. Perhaps this is a creative work of God where he's like, okay, I got something for you. Listen, we've explored like a percentage of the ocean, okay? There's stuff in the depths that I don't even want to know, okay? So I don't know if God had ordained or prepared a particular kind of fish to swallow Jonah, but it's clear that Jonah is in the belly of this fish. Here's what I want to get to. And we'll look at this a little bit next week when we talk about Jonah's prayer. But it's, I want us to know, it's important for us to note that although God sent the storm, he also sent the fish. Although God sent the storm, he also sent the rescue. Scripture has no problem, especially the old Jewish concept. They didn't have any problem with this. They said, God has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. God has let us go through it, but he will bind us up. We turn to him, he will bind us. We've been wounded, but, but, but he, will, he will heal us. He will restore us. God may let you walk through the storm, but it says he will send the fish to you. He'll send the provision. He'll send the answer. He will send the rescue. Doesn't mean we never go through the hardship. It just means God is there and God is sovereign over all of it. We can turn to God in the storm and trust him to deliver us. So let's just take that for a moment. Let's just take that creative license in our heart and go, okay, what is my storm? What is the thing that I'm in that seems like I'm never going to get out? What has swallowed me? What am I just swallowed up by? That's just all I can see. Like imagine what Jonah is experiencing right now. Imagine what he's feeling and what he's thinking. How dark, how painful, how scary, how brutal. It's God who sent this fish. And it would turn out to be his rescue. The same God who sent the storm sends the fish. It says this in verse 17. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Here's, here's where this is coming to. All of this. Does anything sound familiar? Like somebody that was just like buried three days and three nights, swallowed up three days and three nights. Does that ring a bell if we look at our New Testament? Right? Sounds a little bit like something else, doesn't it? Watch what Jesus says. Jesus actually references Jonah. Jesus talks about Jonah. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. This is what Jesus said. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Give us a sign. Dazzle us, Jesus, with your magic miracles. Jesus answered him, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Everything in this story points to Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the book of Jonah, it's about me. Every word, every part of this story, it's just pointing to me. It's just a symbol. It's just a shadow. It's just a type of, of me. It's pointing to me. He says, you know how Jonah was swallowed three days and three nights? 
Son of Man will be swallowed up in the earth three days and three nights, dead in the heart of the earth. This is important to understand when we're reading specifically the Old Testament. I heard some Christians go, you know, we have the New Testament, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Jesus actually says the Old Testament testifies about me. We want to have the fullest picture of Jesus, we need Old and New Testament. So I've heard people say, hey, the Old Testament is Christ concealed. That is, we don't know the name Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, but, but the, everything was pointing towards it. Everything was pointing towards him. Everything was pointing towards the cross. Everything was pointing towards the resurrection. Think of how many things in the Old Testament bear this same type. Abraham, go offer your son, your only son. Sacrifice him. It's a type of Jesus. And God says, no, 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 don't do it. I know that you're going to do it now. He says, I will prepare myself a sacrifice. It's right in the book of Genesis. What do we see in the Garden of Eden right when Adam and Eve sin? Before we even hear the judgment, God, God judges the serpent and he says this. Something's going to come. A, a man is going to come from the seed of this woman, right? From the line of this woman. It says, Satan, serpent, you're going to crush his heel. You're going to wound him, but he's going to crush your head. God himself preached the gospel for the first time in Genesis chapter 3. He says, he says, I'm sending someone right from the beginning. I'm sending one who you're going to wound him, but he's going to crush your head. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So when you're reading in the Old Testament, you go, God, help me. Have, give me eyes to see Jesus in the text. Give me eyes to see Jesus in the text. Let me just show this to you. Let me prove it to you. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, appears to two men. They're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're confused because they've heard reports that Jesus, who was dead, is now risen. And they're hearing like this, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, and they're confused. And they're like, man, they're, they're, they're debating the scriptures. And here's what it says. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Jesus comes along. He starts meeting with them. He starts talking to them. He goes, what are you guys confused about? They said, man, it's weird. Like, because are you a stranger? You haven't heard about the death of Jesus and what happened here in the last few days? And, and now we're, like, troubled because of all these reports, like, the tomb is empty. And Jesus says, like, how slow you are. The verse before, he says, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets spoke. He says, how slow you are to believe what the Old Testament was already saying was going to happen to me. And then he says this in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament. He, Jesus, interpreted or explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus says, haven't you read the Old Testament? It's all about me. And he interpreted it for them. So all of the scriptures point us to Jesus. We need it all. So when we look at the story of Jonah, and Jesus says, that's about me. It's about me. What do we learn when we look at the story of Jonah? We learn that Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Where Jonah failed, Christ succeeded. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. That's what happens all over in the scriptures. Where man fails, Christ succeeds. Jesus is the true and better anyone, anything. That's what he's saying. He's the true and better Jonah. Jonah chose his own will, was disobedient to his sending, and endangered the lives of others. Just like us. Jesus chose the Father's will. He said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Was obedient to his sending, was sent into the world to save sinners. That's all of us. And bring salvation and rescue to mankind instead of death and destruction. Jesus said, Jonah's time in the belly of the fish represents my own death, 
burial, and resurrection. When you think of Jonah, think of the gospel. When you look at Jonah, think of the cross and think of the empty tomb. Jesus said it's a sign. It's pointing to me. It's a picture of the gospel. So let's just kind of summarize chapter one, okay? Just a couple things. Like what does this teach us? It's very important to know that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's very important to know that the book of Jonah is not about the Ninevites. It's very important to know that life is not a story about me. Life is not a movie about you. We are all character role players in the story of God. This is God's story. This is God's work. This is what God is. Everything is about God. My life, everything that happens in my life, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, it's all about God. It's all God working out his sovereign will and plan in our lives. The question is, will we yield and what part will we play in the story? So, God is the main character of Jonah. Jonah's not the main character. The Ninevites are not the main character. A couple things I want to just draw out. When we started, we talked about how God has sent Jonah to a non-Jewish people. That is, think those outside, other nations, other places. Listen, the first thing I just want us to get is God is a God of all nations. God is, we have to grab this, and this is a little departure, but God is a God of all nations, okay? He's not just America's God. And, and many times, I'm not picking up, but many times American Christianity is like, it's, it's like, it looks really different than biblical Christianity sometimes. You know? We think, oh, God is our God. He's the God of this nation. He's just, it's like God is over all. God is the God of all nations. Like, please get this in your heart. God cares deeply, passionately about all people everywhere. Those you hate. God loves them so much. Those you struggle with, God is crazy. Those I struggle with, God is crazy about them. He loves them. He loves them perfectly. He desires that all would come to repentance. God cares about the salvation of all people, all nations, every tribe and every tongue, everywhere, even, even Afghanistan, even Iraq, even Iran, even you name it, plug in wherever. You think God isn't there. God's there. And God loves people. And he's working and drawing people to salvation. God is a God of all nations. Look at, look at two verses I want to show with you. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. This is a picture of the end. This is one of the most, I, I run to this picture and I go, God, help me work towards this. Help me put my hand to the plow to see this happen. Because this is what God's doing right now on the earth. And this is what all things are going to work towards, this picture of heaven and the worship that's happening in heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they, all the saints, they sang a new song and all these, these creatures around the throne. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everyone. Every tribe, tongue, people, language, nation is going to be represented in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is every kind of person. Everywhere. 
drawn to him. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says basically the same thing. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. Every tribe, tongue, people, and language. So I just want you to get that in your spirit. God is a God of all nations. He cares deeply. We may never think about other nations, other places, other culture. Jesus cares deeply about them all. Number two thing I want you to grab is that God, our God, the biblical God, is the only true God. That's really exclusive. First of all, every truth claim is exclusive. As soon as somebody says, well, that's really, Christianity is weird because they say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And you go, well, what do you think it should be? Well, whatever you believe uh, is what's true. And I go, okay, cool. So you're saying there's only one right way to believe, and that's whatever you believe. Every, every time somebody says, I think this is true, it's exclusive truth. It's saying everything that, that is not this, I disagree with. So Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive truth on the planet. Does that make sense? Christianity says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, anyone, everywhere, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Other people go, if you don't believe like I do, you're wrong. It's, exclu it's just exclusive too. So don't ever get thrown when somebody says Christianity is exclusive. You go, yeah, it sure is. It's the most inclusive, exclusive truth on the planet because it's for everyone. Notice the other gods didn't answer Jonah's Jonah's prayer or the other people's prayer. Nobody responded. Nobody responded. It's like, it's like Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. Hey, you guys cry out all day to your God. Go ahead and cry out to Baal. You just cry out to him all day long. Go ahead and cut yourself and run around and dance. I'm sorry. If you don't know that story, read 1 Kings 18. Take a little note. It's a cool story. Okay, it's like showdown on top of Mount Carmel. Elijah's like, I'm a prophet of the true Lord. You're a prophet of a fake God, and I'm going to prove it to you. Let's all go up on the mountain. You cry out to your God, and you cut yourself, and you dance around like a buffoon all day long. You just go ahead and do it. Maybe your God's on the toilet, he says. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe there's a press. What are you saying to them? Okay? Maybe he's like indisposed. Keep crying out. Let's give it all day. He gave him all day, nothing. He says, whoever's God sends fire down. That's the true God. And then he goes, okay, I'm done with you. You guys have been all day. It's getting dark outside. Let me do this. He puts some water everywhere. Goes, God, I know this. I'm not praying this for me because I know you're real. So uh, will you just show these people and send fire down? <laughs> done. There's one true God. There's one true God. To call on the name of another is to call to, out for your own damnation. That's heavy truth. But it's truth. There's one name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what he said. So, God is the God of all nations. God is the only true God. Third thing I want us to get is that God is great. What I mean by that is God is almighty. God is powerful. We've already fleshed this out, so we won't spend a ton of time here, but God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God is mighty. God is not, God is, God's arm is not shortened. There's nothing God cannot do. It says, for nothing will be impossible for the Lord. So he performs miracles. He, scripture says he's to be feared, reverence, awe, respect, and obeyed. Since he created and controls the ocean, he tells it where to stop. We talked about all that. 
That's why when Jesus shows up and his, and his disciples were amazed, they said, even the wind and the waves obey him. This must be God. Because he's that powerful. Fourth thing I want you to get. So God is not just great and deserving of our reverence and awe and wonder and all those things. He is. He's also good. God is great and reverential and amazing and, oh, yes, deserving of all of our obedience and all of our worship. But God is also good. And that's important to know. That's really important to know. Because he's compassionate and he's tender and he sends rescue when we need it. Even when we've kicked ourselves in the face and even when we've blown it out, even when we've di disobeyed and we've run as far as we can in the opposite direction from obedience to God, he'll send the storm, but he sends the fish because he's compassionate. He's a God who is slow to anger, abounding in compassion and merciful and gracious to thousands of generations, he says. We have to get both of these truths, that God is great and God is good, or we're going to have a skewed view of God. If God is just great but he's not good, then I live in terror. If God is just good, but he's not great, and he's not to be feared, not to be obeyed, then, hey, I'm going to live however I want. God will pat me on the tush, tell me I'm just okay how I am. He, he deserves no reverence and awe and wonder. We need to have them both fixed in our hearts. God is great, and God is good. Both are true. So how do we, how do we apply? We're going to, we got to land. God is ascending God. We are ascent people. Most of us have been sent to where we're at. And what I mean by that is your mission field is the ground beneath your two feet. For, for many. I also think with 1.5 billion people on the planet who have never heard the name of Jesus, that there are probably many, many, many more Christians whom God is calling and sending who are being disobedient. There's probably a great deal of Christians whom God is tapping and saying, I'm sending you. Stop running. 1.5 billion have never heard my name. Go. Go. It's our prayer. We're going to flesh this out when we do a vision series here and just share some of the heart and vision specifics for this church. But it is our heart and prayer that we would be a sending church that we would be a church that raises up and sends out church planners and missionaries, both locally and globally. God has sent us. There are billions who have never heard the gospel. The untouchables on the streets and slums of India. Kids living in the dump and graveyards in the Philippines. We were just talking with Diane, uh, who runs the info center, um, about all that. She went to the Philippines and there's kids living in, she says, imagine a 10-story building that's a dump, it's all trash, and kids living there, and that's where they eat. She goes, that's happening on our planet right now. They're sleeping in graveyards. It's happening. Not to mention all the atrocities in our nation, in our cities. God has sent us with the gospel. The question is, are we being obedient to our sending? Campus Crusade for Christ tells us that only about 2% of Christians actively share the gospel. So a world that needs Jesus and 98% of the church is sitting safe on the sidelines going, man, what do we do? We go. We go. And we preach. And we love. And we serve. And we point people to the God who created them, who loves them, 
and is drawing them. The greatness of God and the goodness of God should compel us to go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, I, I, I just pray that everywhere where we have all been Jonah's, Lord, where, wherever we're running, wherever we're walking and knowing willful disobedience, Lord, by your grace and in great compassion and mercy, just arrest our hearts, convict us, God, and love and draw us back to obedience, draw us back to you. Lord, you're, you're tender and you're gracious and you're compassionate. And Lord, though you send the storms, you send the rescue. And Lord, help us just to look to you, to trust in you, to believe in you, and to put our faith in you, Father, that we would know your greatness and your awe, like amazing power, and that we would know your goodness and your tenderness, and that both of those would motivate us to, to know you more and to obey you in greater measure. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen.